Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode of the Box Jumper Podcast. I'm your host, John Sainamond. For this episode, I'm joined by two very special guests. Quinn Everett is the current reigning two-time Canadian Senior Men's Super Heavyweight Olympic Weightlifting Champion. He transitioned to weightlifting uh, after a successful career as a high-level football player in both university and in the Canadian Football League. Isaac Smith is his, is Quinn's coach. Isaac is himself a national-level competitor and provincial record holder in his weight class as a weightlifter. He's also a Catalyst Athletics Level 2 certified weightlifting coach and certified by the National Coaching Certification Program. He's past president of the Nova Scotia Weightlifting Association, an organization that he helped bring to the province to lay the foundation for organized weightlifting programs in Nova Scotia. All that is to say, both of these guys are heavyweights in their respective and now shared disciplines. I've had the pleasure of training alongside these guys for years now. Isaac has coached me many times and helped lead the Catalyst Athletics Level 1 seminar that I attended in preparation for my own certification as a weightlifting coach at Osprey Athletics. He's a gifted coach with an exacting eye and a unique style of progressing an athlete's development. Quinn is a gifted athlete himself with an uncommon combination of power, speed, and technique that serves him extremely well as he continues to build his skill as a weightlifter in support of an Olympic ambition. They're also very generous with their time. Despite being extremely busy working together on making Quinn's goals achievable, I've had conversations with both of them off and on for the better part of a year about having them on the podcast to chat. But I've always been very careful and mindful uh, to make sure that I try to catch them when they weren't gearing up for the next competition, which I discovered very quickly is a rare window of opportunity in their respective schedules. But thanks to COVID, and unbelievably I can point to at least this as some good to come out of all of this, like all of our schedules, Quinn and Isaac's training plans have been disrupted, and that afforded me an excellent opportunity to get them both on the line from their respective homes to talk about what's next for both of them. Because even with the inconveniences that come with self-isolation, their goal-setting and their planning to achieve those goals hasn't taken a break. So in 10 seconds, I'll chat with the champ and his coach about the milestones they've laid out on the road to Quinn's desire to represent Canada at the Olympics in weightlifting. All right, Quinn, Isaac, welcome to the Box Jumper Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I talk to you guys at the gym all the time. I'm in the, the fortunate position of, of um, you know, being in the same workout environment as you two on a daily basis, at least before this stuff was going on with COVID. Um, but I, I've never really sat down and had a really detailed conversation with either of you about what your backgrounds are in sport. I know where you are now, but... Um, I, I'm curious to find out how you got to where you are now. So, um, Isaac, why don't we start with you? Because I, I know your background in sport and in weightlifting, um, goes back a long ways. You're Quinn's coach. Um, how did you get into, um, weightlifting, CrossFit and becoming a coach? Okay. Um, well, I started in athletics at, a relatively well a, a pretty young age um i started training full or around the year in canoe kayak and i i the the age that they wanted you to or was suggested was about 
13, 14 to go year round. And I was doing year round at 11. Um, oh, wow. So it got to a point of when, um, because where we were paddling, it was kids coaching kids. So, you know, I was 13 being coached by 17 year olds. And there's a few workouts where they kind of just, they weren't, they just wanted to hang out with themselves. So they're like, Isaac, take the reins. So I kind of had my first dabble in like coaching my peers when I was about 13, 14 years old. And it's just something I always sort of resonated to. Um, I started coaching canoe kayak when I was about 17 up to about 19, 20. Um, at that point, I got exposed to CrossFit. And this was pretty early on. So about, I think this would have been about 2008, 2009. And for us at that point, doing CrossFit was throwing junk around outside of our paddling club. So it was a lot of tire flips. It was us putting junk together, the tournament to barbells. It was, it was putting junk together that like, because we weren't in the paddling fitness center at that time, it was just us using as much scraps as we could to kind of, kind of make use of it. Um, so I got into personal training from that point. Um, obviously fitness and helping others with that has always just, it's always been something that I kind of resonated to is what I'm designed for. Um, but we were exposed to weightlifting in canoe kayak, but they're paddling coaches, so they don't really know what they're doing. So it's funny that the, the strongest guy or the guy that's going to junior worlds or is on the world team circuit is doing makeshift power clean push press at 135 pounds and us being like 13 14 15 looking at that guy and being badass like that guy is so cool like we have um like younger female athletes and male athletes on our team that are under the age of 14 that are doing power cleans at 60 kilos and you know like depending on where you are development how well the sport is developed there's young girls that are snatching that weight so it's i guess it's all a point of being relative um got into personal training um that led me into co-owning a crossfit gym and the the answers that i was looking for for weightlifting i never really got so i do the crossfit level one i asked them about weightlifting and i never really got a solid answer and if you're looking for any sort of information on weightlifting before 2013 2014 there was nothing. Nova Scotia didn't even have an association at this point. There is nothing mm. to find. So um, over years, I took a few courses. I took a course down in the States, and there was someone there that I actually ended up rooming with at, at a course in the States who was training out of Cal Strength. So um, California Strength was <clears throat> one of the two to three gyms that were actually putting up social media content. So... I had a conversation with him and it was like, so how much should I wait left? How, like how many days? He was like, you can do it every day. And to me coming out of like a, like a bro science sort of <clears throat> a mindset or dogmatic mindset, it was like, <clears throat> oh, I can power clean every day if I want to. And I was extremely excited to be able to do that. Um, over time, I continued on taking this course and I ended up meeting someone or a group of weightlifters that were really, really good at national level in the States at that time. Um, 
really good quality lifters. And this point I was still dabbling in between CrossFit. I still resonated to weightlifting, but I was still, um, I was still more so a CrossFit athlete than anything. I resonated more to the strength stuff, but I, I did what I could to be as general as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. Ended up seeing these guys taking five sets of five on a back squat on a light day at my one RM. <laughs> and so they were going, it was like, it would be like you and Quinn doing like, okay, Quinn does a set of five. You jump in, you do a set of five. He does a set of five. It was pretty well like a minute, minute and a half rest in between. And I just watched these guys going back and forth. And then I thought to myself, I was like, I kind of want to be good at something. Like I want to be, I don't want to be a jack of all trades. I kind of want to specialize in something. So I made it a point of saying, I'm not going to go back to CrossFit until I snatch 225 pounds and I clean and jerk 275 pounds. Right. It took me six to eight months to get to that point. And as soon as I started getting back to CrossFit, I felt like, okay, I'm doing this Metcon or I'm doing this conditioning, but that's going to take away from my snatching that I want to do tomorrow. So in my mind, I was already making a sacrifice. So at that point, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to specialize in weightlifting. Like, that's what I really want to do. I got some flack for it, but you know, like ultimately it didn't matter. I, I went the, the right way because I was able to interact with Quinn and we have a pretty cool story if I not ramble on for so long. So I'm going to tighten this <laughs> up. Um, so I got into weightlifting training more, but I wanted people to train with. So I kind of just saw people that was training at the the gym that we were out of at the time and be like, mm-hmm. hey, how about we like do power cleans together? <clears throat> how about we hang snatch together? How about this? And what I really wanted to do was build training partners and, and build them up enough to have enough knowledge so that they could watch me. Mm-hmm. So like, that's what I was trying to build on. And then over and over, it kind of ends, ended up being from, well, yeah, you're training partners, but like you seem to have a better eye for this. So you, you should be the one that's coaching. Um, that was kind of the, the general consensus towards what I was doing. And just to make sure that our place was, or our, our weightlifting community was um, had some solidarity. So we weren't just a ragtag group of individuals. We started opening up a coaching class. Mm-hmm. So we opened up a coaching class. Um, I competed at nationals. Um, I competed at nationals. We didn't have an association at that time. So I was kind of like, the makeshift president of the Nova Scotia Weightlifting Association. Um, and then one random day, this this uh, one of the guys that was on our team brought in Quinn. So Quinn came in, thought he was a human bear. Um, <laughs> thought he was a human bear. And then we, I think it was, I think Quinn will he'll tell his side of the story in a second here. Um he we got him to jump into the workout as best as as best as he could stupid strong and we were able to have a conversation with training and a lot of the times i'm like so far i've been telling people what to do i've been communicating but with quinn just because he has a significant experience in in training we were able to have a conversation at each other's level so that was pretty refreshing at that point Mm. um i don't know how much further you want me to keep this going well, let's let let's uh, let's jump into Quinn's story because um, you know I, I think when we let let's build up Quinn's side of the story and then then we'll talk about where you where you guys uh, intersected and and where it came or where it led to from there. Right. So 
Quinn, I know you have uh, extensive experience in sport as well. How did how did you get into sport even before you got into the weightlifting side of things? So I guess I played sports like any you know young kid does. Uh, my dad was a hockey dude. He put me in hockey. From hockey, I got into lacrosse. He was a baseball guy. I played baseball. I basically played every sport except for soccer because, I mean, I hate running. So, and I, and I was always a big guy. So, like, it wasn't really my thing. Um, just kind of played every sport I could. Um, loved all of them. Uh, and then I hit, you know, puberty in my growth sport before anyone else around me. So, that made things like basketball way more fun. Mm-hmm. Um so going into junior high, I kind of focused on football, um, picked up football in like grade seven or eight, uh, focused on football, baseball, and basketball. Those were kind of my my main three that I played. And the seasons kind of complemented each other too. It was hard to play um, football and hockey because their seasons overlapped so, so right. much, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then got into high school. Uh, I started weight training at like – I don't know, in grade 10, I think I was like 14, maybe grade nine. Yeah, grade nine, I was like 14, started weight training then with uh, a guy named Alan Wetmore. He used to have a gym called uh, the Ultimate Athlete Factory, specialized in I know him, actually. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he kind of taught me everything I knew up until I met Isaac. So um, he was my football coach, huge mentor for that, Um, played football for him for four years, um anyways played football um baseball and basketball and through high school and then in high school I started to kind of specialize into football where I you know people were telling me hey you could play university ball with this and I'm thinking oh okay that's cool like I was just playing for fun but this is sweet yeah and then uh grade 11 12 specialized in just football played just football trained year-round for just football um and then I ended up getting a uh, scholarship to Mount Allison University um, where I played for five years. Um, And again, I was just kind of, I didn't really have any goals at that point. I was just kind of playing football just to play football. Like it would just kind of seemed where like, oh, I'm built for football. I should play it. Um, Really enjoyed it. has a serious program though. I mean, that's not dabbling in football. Yeah. So uh, they... When I committed, actually, they had uh, they were kind of on the the down curve of a program. So the year before I committed, they went zero and eight. A few years before, they had like a hundred point blowout by SMU. Like they they were in a serious turning point of the program. And I remember picking Mount A because I wanted to be part of the guys to change the program from an zero and eight program to an eight and zero program. Right. Um, I saw more value in that than just going to a school that was already like an eight no program or a winning program and just like adding to that. I kind of wanted to like make more of an impact on a team than just stepping in someone's shoes, you know? Right. Yeah. So uh, uh, played at Mount A for a few years and then started to think, hey, you know, I want to go to the East West All Star Game, um, which is basically every school sends two to five players. Uh, the year before they're draft eligible to like this all-star bowl game, they do a combine, uh, they play a game and there's CFL scouts all over the place. It's basically a place to give the CFL scouts um, an idea of who's coming up in the, the next year's draft. Um, so went there, had an absolutely horrible showing and I thought, okay, I'm never going pro. That's fine. Uh, 
did not do very well. Uh, did okay in the combine. Just got smoked by all these guys that were way better than me. And thought, all right, well, that's fine. Like, I'll just go back and, you know, play my last few years at Mount A. Whatever. Uh, sucks, but maybe we'll get another chance. Um, played Mount A for my fourth year. And that was the year we actually won uh, the AUS championship. So we started the season one and four and then turned it around to four and four and then turned it around to winning, you know, every playoff game on the road and winning the the conference championship. So it was kind of like a, like an underdog comeback story that season. Yeah. <clears throat> and that got us a lot of attention. And then I had um, uh, an agent message me and say, Hey, like, I want to represent you in the upcoming draft, but we want, I want you to change positions. Like you're not going to, you're not going to go pro based on like you playing defensive line, which is what I played my whole life. So they switched me, he switched me to offensive line for that off season. Uh, Just learned the basics, went to a combine and did like amazing on paper. I tested really well on paper, did okay in the one-on-ones, but it was enough to kind of get on scouts radars. Uh, so that year, um, that spring, I actually got drafted to Winnipeg. Uh, it was 2014, um, made the team as like a, a reserve guy, uh, developmental guy, uh, learning O-line. They put me at center and guard, which if you know anything about football is drastically different than defensive tackle. Um, so learned that for the summer and then said, you know what? I want to go back to Mount A and play my last year. Cause you know, I still haven't you know, done what I set out to do. Like we still haven't gone eight. No, uh, right. Went back, left Winnipeg, went back to Mount a, uh, that fall, um, played my last year. We went eight. No first time in school history. Um, and we again, won the AUS championship, but lost in the national semifinal for the second year in a row. Mm-hmm. So happy with my performance at Mount a, I went back to Winnipeg uh, the following springs. So this is 2015, and uh, Winnipeg was actually hosting the Grey Cup that year, so I was not really going to make an impact directly because I was still new. All things considering, I was going against guys that were professionals at their at their craft, and I was completely you know switching gears of a new position for about a year at this point, and uh, I got cut during camp. I tried to get pick up, picked up by another team, and then on paper, I just looked like a guy that couldn't make the switch to the new position, and I kind of gave myself till I think it was like week six or week seven in the season of trying to get picked up by a team, because you see a lot of guys where they'll they'll make a team and then get cut, and then the next year, they'll get invited to a camp, and then they'll kind of be on the bubble. These guys ride this bubble for years. And I thought, like, I don't want to do that. Like, I either want to make it or don't, and I'm okay if I don't. Like, the, right. yeah. you know, I don't want to spend the next eight years of my life riding this bubble when, and then afterwards think, well, what do I do now? So uh, I gave myself to a certain point in the season to get picked up. That we came, never got picked up by any teams, called my agent, and he said, yeah, man, like, I've been trying to sell you, but there's no, no interest. So I uh, decided to retire from football at that point. At this point, it's, you know, middle of summer 2015. And I think, okay, well, I have my marketing degree or my commerce degree. Uh, Football's over. I'm going to not be 300 pounds and lose weight. 
and try and find a job, like get a real job. So at that point, I start looking for a job and start just working out at Good Life, like any commercial gym, and I absolutely hate it. Um, I uh, it's funny with with training for football. I never actually wanted to admit this to myself until after football, but I'm pretty sure I liked training for football more than I actually liked football. Uh, <laughs> I was kind of excited on the first week of the off season, like that. That was that was my my time. It's more the grind that you're after. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like that more than, you know, don't get me wrong. Button heads was fun, but I liked lifting mm. weight more. Um, so when I'm looking for this job, I, I, you know, I, I struggle with the idea of like purpose, like what, what am I doing? What am I working to accomplish? Like, you know, trying to find a job straight out of an undergrad is next to impossible. Um, it's damn hard. Yeah. Yeah. Super difficult. No experience. I mean, I just worked in a kitchen my entire time at university, so that doesn't speak much for marketing or a commerce background. Um, so I always knew I kind of wanted to get into strength sports after football, uh, whether it was strongman, weightlifting or powerlifting. I just knew that I liked training and I wanted to do it. So I kind of did some searches on like online in Nova Scotia and I couldn't really find anything. And at that point there wasn't really much around. So I thought, all right, well, whatever finds me first, I'll do. And if nothing finds me, that's cool. You know, I was a pro athlete. That's good enough for me. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, after months of basically living in my dad's basement trying to find a job, I find a job. And it's at a startup in Halifax. Um, and I work there. I do like, you know, an internship and I get a job. And after my first week, there's a guy wearing a Nova Scotia Weightlifting Association t-shirt. And I go up to him and I say, Hey, like, do you, do you weightlift? Like, do you do Olympic lifting? He's like, yeah. He's like, Oh, where do you do it? And he was like, Oh, I do it out in Bedford in this gym with this coach. Mm-hmm. And I say, okay, can you take me? And he laughs. Cause I mean, football guys have a, um, kind of, are kind of like known for doing like ridiculously strong, but horribly ugly power cleans. <laughs> right. So yeah. I'm sure if he looked at me, a football background, he would just think, no, nah, no, nah, like, don't even bother, dude. It's it's not your world, right? So, and then I pulled out my phone and showed him a video of my best clean at that point, which was 385. And Jesus. he saw it and he was like, all right, yeah, yeah. Monday, you're coming with me. So Monday comes around and keep in mind, like, I've never really talked to this guy before. Um, so Monday comes, uh, he's at work. After work, we drive to this gym. And I'm saying, you know, I'm super excited asking a bunch of questions saying, okay, like, who's the coach? And he's like, oh, it's this guy named Isaac. He's awesome. You'll love him. I say, okay, great. Uh, did you tell him that I'm coming? And he goes, no. I said, I was like, okay, did you like ask him if it was okay if I could come? And he's like, no. I said, okay, can you like call him right now and ask him if it's okay if I come to training today? Because I don't want to just walk in unannounced. And he's like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. You'll be fine. Isaac's a great guy. He like welcomes everyone. And my thought is, okay, I am walking into a gym with a dude I barely know to meet a coach I don't know who doesn't know I'm coming and is just going to yeah. see like some football dude. I'm like, all I mean, right, he's, well. He's not wrong, but you wouldn't know that going in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So, uh, and I mean, the last thing I want to do is just like, I know coaches have plans and it's like, it can be inconvenient and annoying if someone just expects you to train them. Um, 
there's a lot more that goes into a coach's day than just like telling people what to do. There's mm. planning, there's, you know, organization, there's, you know, they have clients. It's, it's a whole different world that people don't really understand. And, and I don't think he understood oh, for that. Sure. Yeah. So I show up to the gym and I see Isaac and he clearly looks unimpressed with the fact that the, my friend or the guy I work with brought me. Mm. Um, so Isaac um, said, okay, well, we're snatching. Can you jump in? And I said, uh, I've only ever snatched four or five times, but sure, I'll do my best. Um, and then he quickly realized that I shouldn't be snatching at that point. And then he got me to, you know, do some cleans. And then I remember like hang cleaning. And one of the guys on the team was like, man, he's hang cleaning. Like what I squat <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. And then, you know, again, I, I touched on this before, but I was kind of like struggling with the idea of like, what was my purpose? I kind of like devoted my life to football. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden football's gone. There's no more football. And I was struggling with the idea of at that point, um, you know, having my quote unquote purpose be a job or like work. Um, because I still felt I had, you know, more in the tank as an athlete and more that I didn't achieve yet. So, um, we we were talking the first few days and he, Isaac was like, I guess, like sizing me up, getting me to do exercise, figuring out what I could do, what I couldn't do. And at one point he looked at me and was like, what do you want? And I said, I just want someone to tell me what to do. And I think as a coach, that's all you ever want <laughs> in an athlete is just someone to say, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Yeah. And then, uh, that was, in, that was, I think like August of 2015 and we've been working together ever since. So, sorry, that was kind of a little drawn out, but, um, that's, that's no, the that whole gist of it. So Isaac, what, what was your impression? Uh, the, the first time Quinn grabbed a barbell. Oh, damn strong. Didn't know what he was doing, but he was damn strong. <laughs> um, yeah. So when Quinn's first day, I think he was, um, he was hang cleaning and I, there was a few people that came out of, um, is it Widmore or Wetmore? Wetmore. Wetmore. There's a few people that I've worked with that came out of that gym and they like kudos to this guy. Like they knew how to power clean, you know, to like the basic fundamentals of the movement. Everyone accomplished that. And just when Quinn came in and we kind of talked about what he wanted to do, he's like, I always wanted to clean 400 pounds, but do you remember the, like, they were a failed shoe, but the, the Reebok zigzags, like, back in 2014, I've, 2015? I've heard of them. <clears throat> they're like, um, oh, they're like a cushiony shoe. You're basically running on pillows. So they were the worst shoe for weightlifting, but they were Quinn's only training shoe. Yeah, I, I got them for free in Winnipeg, and I, there's no way I wasn't going to wear those to the ground. Absolutely. <laughs> so he he was doing and I, the best way that i could describe it is if like they're pretty close to the the old white man sketchers like walking shoes mm-hmm. like they're they weren't designed for weightlifting so we talked about him working up to a 400 pound clean just because he said he wanted to do that so we're like okay let's make sure that that happens so it took him about three to four months to for you to get weightlifting shoes so like when? actually, yeah, I think I think I got them in like October. So I think it was like two months, but it was more so me being stubborn because Wetmore basically trained us to never need an aid. So I looked at things like straps, a belt, weightlifting shoes, all as an aid, and you know I shouldn't need it. 
Mm -hmm. But I did. (laughs) So (laughs) in which case, whether he was stubborn or not, or shipping took X amount of time, Quinn finally got weightlifting shoes. So we, we said, okay, well, let's just play around at this point. We're like, well, let's see what you can clean up to today. So he worked his way up to clean. He cleaned his PR. And then we put on 400 pounds on the bar. The first time he lifts the weight, he pulls it to about mid-thigh. And this is the only time I've ever seen Quinn not commit to a lift. He, hmm. he, he pulled the bar to mid-thigh, let it go. And then we both kind of had a dumbfounded look at each other, being like, well, what, what happened? He's like, it's heavy. <laughs> 400 pounds, man. <laughs> 400 pounds. Of course it's going to be heavy. So the next time he cleans it, he racks it on his shoulders. I think he might have sat back on his heels. He spits him out backwards. And then he was kind of like, okay, like, I know what to expect now. And then the third time he cleaned it. So we kind of made a running joke for a while. Be like, hey, the shoes make the lifter. Like, you know, you've got weightlifting shoes and like now you can clean 400 pounds is a pretty big deal. Mm. Yeah. Um, so in Quinn had been competing or training with us for a short period of time. We were starting to have national level qualifiers for Quinn to compete at nationals. So this is within a few months of him actually training. So we're like, okay, we got to qualify here. So the competition that he did, our I'm jumping ahead because I had a little too much coffee. Um, Quinn could clean. He could clean the world. He didn't know how to jerk. He didn't know how to snatch. So we were basically rushing him to learn how to snatch at this point. And, and Quinn can clean. Sorry if I could jump in. Part of that too is with uh, with football, it's all pushing and pulling. There's never a point where you train to put something over your head. It's all right. about yeah. driving your hips, getting le- strong legs, and you know, front backwards, not up and down. So I'd never really put weight over my head before. Mm-hmm. And at this time, it, it it kind of showed. Like he could squat the world, he could clean the world, but it was something of where, you know, he was cleaning two hundred pounds more than everyone else in the gym. But like his his snatch was about. 200 pounds less than what he could clean so when he qualified for nationals there was almost a 200 pound difference between what he snatched in that competition to what he clean and jerked in that competition yeah i i almost bombed out at a 110 snatch i hit it on my third attempt and then i hit a 180 kilo clean and jerk to hit the qualifying total for nationals which is like that discrepancy is unheard of Mm -hmm. yeah 100 percent. so um getting him to his first nationals and you know like the conversation that him and i were having is well we're in a rush to go to 2020 and you know obviously things along the way have changed significantly but you know to to him and me it's about like let's make a run for 2020 we can do it there's athletes that have been able to train for four years and get to the Olympics because of their background. So his first nationals, you know, he was this guy that came out of the blue and I think Quinn will, will give his, give his story on it, but his first nationals, he was this guy that came out of the blue. He actually went one of the first times or only times that he's gone three for three on snatching. He snatched great, 
but it was something of where we got up on clean and jerk or we got to clean and jerk and we made a stupid jump like a Quinn will probably remember this better than I can. I think it was a 17 kilo jump. No, that was a that was the second nationals with that oh, jump. Right, the, right, right. The first nationals, our our goal was just a podium or come close to it, and uh, had a good day snatching, and then only went one for three on clean and jerk. And part of it was because I wasn't used to the national level competition. Like it's mm-hmm. it's way different than a local comp, and things were starting late, and then there was time in between snatch and clean and jerk, and it just seemed like very delayed. So by the time clean and jerks came up, I was kind of mentally tired. Um, I had started like my, you know, we'll call it a hype up process, but I don't know if that's really what it is too early. And, you know, I was already hungry. Um, I was like nervous. I, you know, was, you know, feeling a little mentally fatigued at that point. I didn't really know what to expect. And I missed my last two clean and jerks. I think the last one would have put me third. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, the the following year is when we had that crazy uh, jump. I don't know if we want to get into that or Isaac, if you want to keep with your thing there. Right. Well, the thing is with with what Quinn was saying, this is the first time that we can we competed outside of our time zone. So he was already the last competition with a four hour delay or a oh, four hour yeah. time difference. Mm-hmm. So that was obviously something that you know we've we've worked on getting used to like i think quinn will tell you about his his pan ams prep just because we had he wanted to get used to the 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 climate so he trained in five layers but i think that that story will come on later on (laughs) um so the next year you know that we spent pretty well a year working on his snatch and working on his jerk um and that's the main focus that we had the entire time um so he went from his first nationals coming forth we're going into his second nationals now um and at that point like we thought we were in good enough place to get on the podium maybe even win on clean and jerk but we we did some wild things at this point and Quinn and I had always made this joke of like I always worked with smaller athletes. And when you work with someone who's significantly different or an outlier, the variables are significantly different. So working with someone who is extremely strong, who is a lot larger, who's been training for an extended period of time, the variables of coaching him are way different than, you know, a 14 to 16 year old kid who weighs 110 pounds soaking wet. Um, so going into our, our second nationals, like it was completely different because we were then rushed. We were delayed on the first one. We were rushed at the second nationals and we went from three to three on snatches to one to three on snatches. And then we, we had to make up ground on this clean and jerk. So we got, we made ground on our clean and jerk. We had our first attempt in, and then it was just something to where he was like, I want a podium. So I think Quinn will tell the story a little bit better than I can. But Quinn, if you want to take it away from here, you certainly Yeah, sure. So something to keep in mind, too, is uh, a few months out from the second national, I think it's 2017 in La Prairie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I tweak my back in like, I don't know, December or January. Uh, to the point where like, I can't bend over without being in pain. I can't put socks on. I can't empty the dishwasher without being in excruciating pain. Um, didn't really know what it was. 
me and Isaac were just kind of like, we don't know what to do. Uh, so I just kind of didn't train for like a month, hoping that it would just kind of take care of itself. Cause that's how all my previous injuries would work. Just take time off. They work themselves out, you know, see a massage therapist. You're good just to let go. Let them heal. Mm-hmm. Exactly. This didn't get any better. I ended up, uh, having to see a specialist guy named, uh, Warren Hefford, um, has his own, uh, gym in Burnside now called proactive. He's a sponsor. He's an awesome dude. Um, and this guy like can fix anything and he fixed my back. Um, so finally after months of, you know, not knowing what to do and getting treatment and all this stuff, um, we had six weeks before nationals where I could actually lift a bar over my head, like comfortably and not be in pain. And we say, all right, well, let's, you know, figure it out. We have six weeks, which isn't a very long time to prep for an event. Hmm. Um, so we go into the event and the goal was to, you know, go th- two or three for three on snatch, put us in a decent position. And then we podium and win on clean and jerk, like put whatever we need on the bar and just make it happen. Um, I go one for three on snatch and my snatch is already way behind everyone else's. Like my opener was, I think, 130. Um, and other people were opening at like 40 and, you know, 45 at that point. Mm-hmm. So after Snatch, uh, we're in the back room and our plan was just, all right, get on the board. There's only four people in my weight class, so it doesn't matter if I clean and jerk, you know, the world or just my opener. I'm still going to be fourth. So we get on the board uh, with my opener and then we just say, all right, next clean and jerk puts me at third. So I opened with 175, hit it, no problem. And then we go back in the back room and wait for 25 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know why, but I was just so mad and so in the zone that I didn't want to touch a bar at all. So, at all. I just sat there and didn't want to be bothered and was just like, I want to lift and be put in third. Um, so we go in the back room for 25 minutes, wait out everyone else's lift. I don't do a single attempt. I don't move. At this point, I'm cold, but you know that was mm. me being dumb. Um, so we made a 22-kilo jump, and I walk out, and everyone thinks I'm just going to deadlift it, and I clean it, and I jerk it. But I get a couple red lights and it doesn't count. So I go out again. That was 197. I go out again at 198. We put up a kilo up just to buy some time. Keep in mind, my PR at this point is like 190. So I'm already going out at a PR attempt cold Mm -hmm. 25 minutes later. Uh, Go after 198. Uh, Again, make the clean, no problem. Miss the jerk, like press out got some red lights and uh that was it went two for six place fourth and our thought process well we can either just like take our second and third attempts at normal attempts and just like basically roll over and die and accept fourth or we can kind Mm -hmm. of like we're going to be fourth regardless right Right. so might as well swing for the fences and we did and it didn't happen but i mean it was still a, a good attempt and it kind of like after that people were asking isaac like yo who is this guy like, wh- where'd this guy come from? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was the the second nationals that that uh, that was the, the wild ride. Mm-hmm. So basically, we had six weeks to prepare for it leading up to it. Did horrible on snatch, and then you know went for a grand slam on clean and jerk. So I guess 
Oh, uh, John, go on. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting to to hear just how much. Um, I mean, I don't really want to call it strategy exactly, but you know how much thinking goes into what your lifts will be and how how responsive um, you have to be to the conditions of the day and and you know what what the other lifters are putting up too. Right. So you have to be adaptive. Like the 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 thing that would make weightlifting a whole lot more exciting for people to watch out in front. Obviously, seeing people snatching clean and jerk really heavy. <clears throat> is really exciting to see it's entertaining mm. but the strategy that goes into the back room that we're, we're starting to see it now in international competitions like there's a there's a bit more of a media following that people can see what's going on in the back room but you know like quinn and i will be lifting uh right beside his competitor and then we're we're stacking our warm-ups against what his warm-ups are and he's he says he's going out for 190, but he has 190 as a warm up. So he's obviously going to bump up to 195 or 200. So that changes our timing. That changes what our attempts are going to be. Like you have to be something of where you have an A and a B and a C plan, but you have to be adaptive in between those plans just because like you want to set your athlete up for what they're capable or what they're absolutely capable of doing. So, you know, what's going to put them in a higher place, how much rest that, that they need that he needs in between sets, you know, how many warm up sets do we need? Do we need to wave back down and build up into it? And like, again, at this previous competition, like Quinn didn't want to take, you know, he was going out for 197, but he didn't even want to take a hundred kilos just to stay warm. Like he just sat there and vibrated because he was so angry. And then I asked him once or twice. And after the second time, I was like, all right, I'll just shut up and let him do his thing and get out of his way. <laughs> because like, he's obviously warm enough as it, or warm enough as it is just being there, like furious. Mm. Um, so I think, I think that leads us on to year three. I think this yeah. yeah. Yeah, the I guess like to backtrack a bit for the back room. The best way to describe the back room in weightlifting is like one gigantic one gigantic game of poker. Mm -hmm. Like it's one huge game of poker. You don't know what people's hands are. You don't know what their plan is. You don't know what they're doing if they're bluffing. Um, you don't know if they're going to call up, call down. Like there's so many variables. It's one gigantic game of poker. Mm -hmm. um, um, and that's something people don't see, but. Yeah, I guess I guess leading into year three, um, if we're just doing a, a timeline thing, like Isaac said before, you know, we thought, okay, let's make a run at 2020. And it was kind of like, all right, this is the the time where we actually show that we want to make a run for 2020 and not just place fourth two years in a row and be a wild card and maybe hit a lift and, you know, maybe just be a psycho. Who knows? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, Sorry, go so ahead. what? So what did that involve? I mean, when you when you after the second time placing fourth, did you change your game plan? Did did your training regimen uh, wind up changing substantially so that you would come into the next national level competition um, with a, a substantially stronger position for snatch? Well, I think me and Isaac we make this joke all the time. It's like he's never coached anyone really, you know, at that level. Uh, consistently and I never competed in the sport at that level consistently and we always make the joke that we were teaching each other how to drive standard <laughs> like we, we just didn't know what we were doing and we were just trying to figure it out along the way right. um, so uh, so 
but the bare minimum is you just have to get better at snatch and clean and jerk. And how you get better at those things is doing them. Excuse me. Identifying weaknesses and working on those. Simple as that. And once we kind of realized that, we started to do that more and more and more. So I don't know if it really, like, obviously the exercises changed, but I don't think they changed so drastically. They were just, you know, working on weaknesses and improvements and breaking it down, like, lift by lift. Um, so I think after year two, um, after and I, and I only told Quinn this. Um, so, like, after year two, because we, we did not accomplish it, It'd be, I, I, I thought to myself, I'm like, if Quinn doesn't win this next time, then I'm going to have to refer him out because obviously like, I'm not able, like weightlifting career, especially like when Quinn came into it after, um, a career in football already, like Mm. it's only so long, like every month is precious. Every year is precious. Every competition is, is pretty well precious at that point. And, you know, Quinn, Quinn is probably going to do his best lifts when he's 29 to, to 33 years old, but you have to be able to, you know, build a foundation of, you know, competency in the lifts and, uh, and, you know, successful national and international competition. So I kind of made a deal with myself. I was like, if Quinn does not win this, like I'm going to have to refer him out to another coach just because like, I obviously need to learn a whole lot more to be working with this caliber of an athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we did and what we changed around is because Quinn could snatch and clean and jerk and his snatch was really improving, but the buffer between what he can, he can do sustainably and what he can do for an absolute weight, there's an inconsistency there. So we really worked on and had the conversation of like, we need to build up a significant amount of volume or more volume at something that can guarantee it. And everything leading up into that point was, okay, we'll work into, we'll find something heavy. We'll work into to a heavy lift for the day. We'll, um, we'll, we'll build up your maximum. But the thing that really changed rather than building up his maximum, we'll build up his minimum underneath that. So mm. like he might be able to snatch 140, but if we're having days of where 20 kilos less than that, he's having a hard time doing it for a double. Like that's, that's a major disparity. Right. So we started incorporating just doing a bit more volume per set, um, probably about 10 kilos less than what he was normally, normally working at. And initially he hated it. Um, he wasn't a big fan of doing volume, mm. but when we were going into year three, like no one at this point, there's one guy that can clean and jerk with him, but no one at this point can really stay with him on clean and jerk. We just need to make up ground on snatching. Right. So we're, we're coming into, to, this was nationals at. In, um, not Richmond, um, Mississauga. Yeah. It was nationals at Mississauga. And I'm going to let Quinn take over from this point. That was 2018, right? 2018. Yeah. 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 So, uh, our game plan was basically just to, to beat this other guy, right? If we could beat him, we would win. Mm-hmm. Um, Nate, Mike Benzik, he's been in the game for a long time. He's out West. He's also super heavyweight. He won uh, nationals my first year competing. So he's been like a long, like I guess now a long-term competitor of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but he's always consistently opened around the same weights. So we talked about our openers and this was strategy. We wanted to open snatch at 141. 
simple. So we I we figured he was going to open at 140. We open at 141. You know, if I make 141, perfect, right? And then kind of just stay one kilo ahead of him on everything. Right. We weren't trying to like, you know, set world records or anything or Canadian records. We were just trying to beat, beat. We're just trying to win. And you win by winning by one kilo. Mm -hmm. Sure enough, he opened at 141. I opened, or sorry, he opened at 140. I opened at 141. We both went one for three on snatch, right? So now we're going into clean and jerk and I'm one kilo ahead of him. There was other people that snatched more, but they weren't really an issue because they weren't going to clean and jerk as much as us. Right. So then we go into clean and jerk and he is the first to go. Um, and my thought is all I have to do is just stay one kilo ahead of him. We're not trying to hit any number in mind. We're not trying to, you know, make a 22 kilo jump. We're not trying to do anything. We're here to win and that's it. So like, change your game plan, change your thought. That's all it is. Baseline, whatever he does, do the same on clean and jerk because at this point we're one kilo ahead. Yeah, very different from the year before where you had to swing for the fences just to podium. Exactly, mm-hmm. right? So uh, we, whatever he called, Isaac called. And whatever he did, I did. And we just went back and forth, back and forth. And then his third attempt, he took 200 and he hit it. And then I went out very last like attempt and hit it. And we won by one kilo. He went 140, 200. I went 141, 200. So we won finally third year. We finally won. Um, and then that kind of like, um, got me some credibility and, you know, helps, um, get me invited to like training camps and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. and then that summer, we trained a lot, worked a lot towards the idea of going to an international meet. Um, so this is coming up on year four. Yeah. We, uh, mm-hmm. we do provincials in, in November as usual. And then we realized there's uh, an international open um, in Vegas because they changed the way you qualify for the Olympics at this point. Um, and at this point, we we're still thinking, okay, maybe we can make it happen. But like, let's just try and be eligible, right? Mm. That was that was the goal at that point. It was like, okay, I don't think we're gonna go because I'm not good enough. Simple as that. But let's try and hang for as long as we can, right? Like, let's try and go through the process and see how it happens. Um, so I end up going to Las Vegas um, in January. My first ever international competition, Team Canada, was super cool. I bomb out. Right. Um, first time ever bombing out, I bomb out on clean and jerk of all things. Right. I always thought if I was going to bomb out, it'd be on snatch, not on. Right. Yeah. Bomb out on clean and jerk. And we were hoping to use that as a Pan Am qualifier. Right. Um, Mm. so we come back from Vegas and we think, well, now what? Like we got to go to Pan Ams. Uh, there was a qualifier in Montreal, I think two or three weeks later. Mm -hmm. So, Two, three weeks later, I'm on a plane to Montreal. I compete in just a random Montreal uh, or Quebec Federation uh, competition. Everyone's speaking French. I know like two people, uh, a friend of ours, JP, uh, he's a coach out of Montreal. He helped me. Uh, he called my numbers and, you know, uh, coached me there. Uh, but everyone was kind of looking at me like, why is this guy here? Because there was a competition the same day in Nova Scotia, but it wasn't a Pan Am qualifier. Right. So I had to travel to qualify. 
right? So go to Montreal, go in this competition, and I qualify for Pan Ams, right? Which at this point, I think is another three weeks away. So that's a lot of competing in a short period of time. Oh, yeah. Yes, it was. So uh, I get back from Montreal. I'm ecstatic. And I think, okay, think back to Richmond. First time competing um, in a different time zone. Uh, You know, four hour time change really messed me up. What's something I can do to train for Guatemala to, you know, help my performance? And I came up with the idea of just like training in layers and layers and layers. So it was like, I don't know, it was March at this point, maybe early April. This would have been, yeah, this would have been early April and we were competing in the end of April. Yeah. So I'm training in my usual training gear. It's like shorts and a t-shirt, but then I put sweatpants on, I tuck them into my socks and then I'm wearing like this under armor cold gear that I would wear in like minus 10 degree weather when I was playing football and then a sweater on top of that. So I am, miserable i already run warm as it is but when i'm wearing all this i'm super sweaty super miserable and super warm Mm -hmm. and i end up hitting a snatch pr wearing all this and like it it was a really good prep for for pan ams and then i get to pan ams and i'm completely unaffected by the weather yeah it's warm but you know i've been training in warmer clothes for the last Mm. three weeks so it actually really helped so we get to pan ams um i have my best competition to date uh, it was great. And I finally think, all right, you know what? I deserve to be here. I deserve to be on Team Canada. This is awesome. Um, we come back and then Nationals is, th- I think, th- again, three weeks later or four weeks later at this point. Like, it's pretty soon. Wow. Um, I get sick coming back from Pan Ams. I catch, you know, one of those things in the water. I probably drank coffee or something. And anyways, I get sick and I can't do anything like below parallel for a week. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that hurt training. And then again, we kind of rush training into nationals nationals were in La Prairie and we go there and we win basically uncontestedly. Like I went, I think three, three for six, right. I went mm-hmm. and we still, we still won by a long shot. And that's, that's where I wanted to be by that point. Mm-hmm. So then after that, we've kind of, we, you know, reassess and we look at it and we say, okay, like we're still on track to be eligible, like qualify wise for 2020. Like, again, we don't think we're going to go at this point. It's like, you know what? Probably not going to happen. Whatever. That's cool. We wanted to, that was the goal, but you know, maybe 24 is a better goal. Maybe we didn't realize that, you know, how much I would need to progress or how high level everyone else is you know, all the other things that you don't really know when you're trying to figure something out. Right. Um, so that summer, uh, which was last summer, actually, we had a wicked training session or wish sorry, wicked training block. I go to a training camp in Montreal, which is great train all summer. We go to San Diego in, uh, October. I was originally supposed to go to worlds in Thailand, but there was like an admin mess up and there was a rule that, really only affected my weight class because of, you know, the winner of my weight class is the best male lifter in the world. And, you know, anyway, so I ended up needing like a few more kilos on my total to go to worlds and there was no opportunity for me to get that. So couldn't go. So instead I go to San Diego, uh, and there I actually win, uh, the international competition, but there was only two people in my weight class. 
Um, so win that, and then that kind of brings us uh, to the end of that year. And then the next competition was Rome, actually. And going into Rome, I didn't have the best training block. Uh, things weren't feeling great. I like popped my back again, but it wasn't really a bad one, but it was enough to hinder me. Um, my back's kind of like an ongoing on and off thing. It'll happen once and then not again for like a year. And then it'll just happen out of nowhere. And it's one of those things that I can just go if I like bend over weird, right? It's just, it's annoying. So uh, we go into Rome and I had an absolutely horrible uh, prep leading up to it. Um, and we were hoping to use this as a Pan Am qualifier because I still haven't put up a Pan Am total at this point. So we go into Rome. I'm sick, super sick. Uh, I have like had the flu for a full week before I get there. We took a red eye on the way over there. Um, training was going bad to begin with. I was fighting some weird injury with my knees. Didn't know what was going on. Like it hurt to bend my knee. It was just like, like literally everything that could have went wrong, went wrong. Right um competition day i'm literally like coughing up a lung into a garbage bag in the back room in between my attempts because like i'm so sick um almost bomb out and end up hitting what i need for pan ams keep in mind like the night before i was in bed with a fever sweating it out like took like four or five hot showers a day just to like try and keep my temperature up had the cold sweats you know it was it was it sucked um, so we do that at Rome and then we make the Pan Am team as an alternate and then all this COVID stuff hits, mm. uh, Olympics gets postponed, Pan Am gets postponed, all this stuff gets postponed um, and we're kind of thrown in this loop of, all right, now what? At this point, we already knew we weren't really a contender for, um, 2020, but again, just wanted to like go through the path as if we were you know due to all the competitions we needed to do uh compete at the level that we needed to do just so we have it kind of under our belt and we kind of know what to do there wasn't really a lot of resources for like this is what you need to do we kind of had to learn and teach ourselves again you know right. we're teaching each other how to drive standard yeah so now that puts us at this place where um you know can't go in the gym it's closed. Um, can't, you know, everyone's on quarantine and lockdown. So I was lucky enough to, to, you know, steal some equipment and, uh, from the gym or not steal, but borrow some equipment from the gym and, uh, set up a little training thing in my garage. And that's where we're at now. Sorry. I don't know if you actually want mm -hmm. a whole timeline of everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got to go on it. Um, so that's where we're at now. And I guess goal moving forward, uh, the last couple of years was to, be eligible for 2020, but not actually expect to go because I'm not good enough. And we know that and that's okay. Right. But we wanted to travel the path as if I were going so we could see things like, Oh, you get sick in Pan Ams for a week. Um, Oh, like you need to, you know, like climate train for Pan Ams. Oh, you need to be like, you need to be able to lift a total while having the cold sweats the night before and coughing in a lung up in a garbage can in between attempts. Like so it's, it's the exposure to all those variables that Isaac was referring to earlier with that are not only different per athlete, but different per circumstance based on where you're going to compete, when you're going to compete, how it fits into your training timeline. 
Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, things like time zone changes and like four hours seemed like a lot when we competed in Richmond, but we were working on, I don't know, it was like, it was like a 12 hour, I don't know, eight hour time change from Rome. Mm. Like it was, I don't actually know how much it was because we took a red eye and I (laughs) honestly just didn't know what time it was half the time I was there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was uh, five or six hours. Yeah. It was just like, oh, it's breakfast now. Okay. I guess we'll go eat. Right. (laughs) Like doing that stuff is totally it's hard to prepare for that so it's nice that we got that exposure and it's going to be even better in the next you know uh four years when we're trying to actually um go to to 2024 and i think moving forward that is the goal now yeah um Mm -hmm. and that's what we're what we're working towards now and it's not just being eligible it's actually going have I mean I know it's early days yet, but have they announced anything about with 2020 being delayed to 2021? Does do they go through an eligibility process all over again for Team Canada, or do they just go with whoever had already qualified? Well, with weightlifting right now, there's there's a bit of there's a there's a lot of rule changes, and there's there was a bit of a controversy just because our sport has been riddled with um, pharmaceuticals. So the current president of our international association had recently stepped down. Um, You know, like no one really knows what's going on in weightlifting. Like there's a lot of hearsay of being like um, hearsay being sorry, gentlemen of uh, like, they might change the qualifying standards. The, the spots for this Olympics might be locked in. It might not be locked in. Like there's everything still kind of up in the air. Like for Quinn and I, it's the only thing that's really going to change is um, Pan Am's is still going to happen. It's going to happen next year. And if someone's not able to compete next year, that bumps Quinn's spot from alternate to competing. Right. Um, Un- unless again we need to put up another total which would be great for us yeah that would actually put us in a better spot than we are now <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. so if we if we have to do another competition where quinn has to if people have to requalify for pan ams um so that would be the best thing that would happen for us in terms of well now 2021 like there's <clears throat> we know it's going to happen next year um we don't know if the people that are within the criteria of qualifying like if their spots are locked in or not right yeah yeah i'm sure that hasn't been decided across a variety of sports yeah 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 especially in weightlifting i mean just to put it bluntly like in weightlifting there's just a lot of shit going on mm-hmm. you know um to put it very bluntly it's uh no one really knows anything especially with the whole i mean iwf you know uh like change in command and things like that they they kind of have to figure out internal stuff before they figure out external stuff. Yeah. So uh, um, I'm, I'm curious. So how, how has uh, the fact that, you know, we're now all living in isolation. I mean, you've got gear in your, in your garage, but how, how has this changed the training dynamic that you and Isaac as your coach have? Uh, You know, I mean, I'm, I'm used to walking into the gym and seeing you guys, working together and you're on one platform and Isaac's bouncing around other platforms. Cause you know, you're certainly not the only person that he's training at any given moment. Um, but he's also, he's always got a watchful eye on what you're doing and giving you tips and, and giving you encouragement, telling you what to change. H- how does that, how does that dynamic work 
in the current circumstances? So I've got a little platform and, you know, squat rack and a bar and plate set up in my garage. Um, Mm -hmm. The ceiling's a little low. Uh, I can snatch, but I have about half an inch of a clearance before I hit the ceiling when I snatch. (laughs) I can believe that given how tall you are. Yeah, I uh, I can't push press and I can't stand up a jerk. So I can catch a jerk in the split or the power position. But as soon as I go to like extend my legs and stand up, I hit the ceiling. Right. So that's really our only hindrance. We're still jerking. We're still, you know, doing everything we can. Uh, but I just shortchange them. So I catch, receive in the split or in the power position and then drop. Mm-hmm. And that just requires me to be really honest and disciplined with myself to say, you know, is this a make or did I lose this? Would I right. lose yeah. it on the recovery? Yeah. Um, so you kind of have to put like your ego aside and say, yeah, you know, that was a make. I'll go mm-hmm. up or no, that wasn't a make. I have to redo that. Um, but as far as like coaching wise, uh, I send Isaac a lot of videos of things we're doing. So generally there's like one or two really main lifts of, uh, I mean, Isaac, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's one or two main exercises that are like the focus of the day. And then the rest of the lifts of the day kind of like, um, either prime it or like, um, help make it better. So there's usually like a warm up primer. So, um, something leading up to the, the main lift. And then we do the main lift of the day. Maybe there's a second main lift of the day. And then the rest is kind of like a accessory cool down. So I send them the working sets generally are the heavier sets of the main lifts. Um, and what we've been doing on Fridays is we'll do like an Instagram live training session or, you know, we FaceTime this last Friday. Um, so he's there kind of, but it's, it's nothing like it was, um, in, in, uh, in Osprey. I mean, not, not at always, uh, not always in real time, the, in the same way. No, exactly. And I mean, the, it's not only just the coaching, but the environment we have at Osprey is completely unbelievable. Like I wouldn't, mm. I wouldn't want it any other way. Um, you can have a bad day, walk in there. And usually if you're going into training and you're having an annoying day or a bad day, or you feel tired, your training usually reflects that, but you walk in there and that kind of like gets sucked away because everyone is so like amped up and ready to go. Right. Yeah. Especially Isaac. Isaac, I think gets the most amped up out of anyone in that gym by far. <laughs> So I definitely miss that aspect, but we're making it work. Um, And I'm glad I was able to uh, get some equipment and, you know, borrow some equipment from the gym. So super thankful to them for that because otherwise I would be, you know, I don't know, doing push-ups, which would suck. (laughs) (laughs) Does it feel like you're still making progress towards your goals? I mean, it seems like um, you've both set very, very big, audacious goals. And then you're kind of reverse engineering the the steps to getting there. Is that is that an accurate reflection of how you're progressing? Yeah, totally. So I don't know when I learned this, but, you know, goal setting has always been a big thing in sport. You kind of pick the big thing you want to do and then you pick, okay, a path. Okay, how do I get there? Right. So, you know, you pick the end goal and then you work backwards and it's, the kind of the same thing as like growth in anything. There's like KPIs or like key performance indicators. There's like goals. There's, you know, major thresholds you pass um, in getting to that point. And if you're not at the those checkpoints along the way, you think, okay, what am I doing wrong? How do we fix this? Maybe the goal was too audacious. So let's adjust it, you know, things like that. Right. But, uh, but as far as training, I still think we're, 
on the right path. Like, I don't think my training has really been affected um, that much given the circumstances. I mean, other than Isaac not being around or like us not being able to train together and not being able to be in the gym, I still train in the garage. Uh, one of our teammates, uh, Jordan Wentz, uh, sorry, Jordan Wenzel lives around the corner from me. So he comes over to train every day, um, you know, and we still have like an environment in the garage and training in a home gym is pretty fun, but I definitely miss the team. It's definitely a different vibe for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's encouraging that you're still able to, to feel like you're still making the progress that you need to make. Um, you know, I mean, there would be nothing more disheartening than feeling like you're, you're subject to limitations on your training. Yeah. And that's one thing I was worried about with this whole COVID things and gyms being locked down. I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to borrow equipment. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, now what? Yeah. Right. I know there's some weightlifters like of all levels that don't have a place to train. Like there, there are some people that are training on their balconies in apartment buildings out West. Mm, like, yeah. It, you know, you can only do so much with what you have and people are making it work. But another thing is we don't know how long this COVID thing is going to last. It keeps getting pushed and then, mm. you know, it looks good and then it doesn't. And then, you know, whatever. So it, it could certainly have an impact on the competitive field that you'll face in the next competition. Exactly. So, you know, nationals have been postponed. Pan Am has been postponed. Olympics have been postponed. Any competition right now has been postponed. Yeah. And we don't know when we're going to compete next or where. I think our goal with training is just to be ready. Right. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of in um like a, a weird transitional phase of where we have to maintain his, his weightlifting performance, but at the same time, make sure that we're building a, like a, a general foundation, just because if you, if you lift heavy weights too much, too often, you know, it's going to beat you up. Right. So the, the program is a little, well, significantly different than any of the other programs that we've done, just because it's, it's a, it's a blend of making sure that he's able to touch up on heavy weights, but there's also other days of where like the volume has to be relatively significantly high to build a foundation under new PRs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, at least, you know, that that's a strategy that, that worked well for you getting him ready for the national stage. Mm-hmm. Well, so backing up just, uh, I mean, way back to the very beginning, I'm curious, what was your first weightlifting competition like Gwen? Uh, just, <laughs> um, kind of a shit show. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't really know what to do. I didn't really know what was going on. I was one of Isaac's, I think, like eight or nine athletes in the competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so have you ever seen Isaac at a local competition? Um, he is running around in the back room like a madman the entire oh, yeah. day because he's got athletes in every session. He works very closely with um, Amanda from Hubtown. She always has like double the amount of any athletes any other coach has. So Isaac works closely with her. And we kind of like share if that makes sense mm-hmm. um so i'm i was the last session i kind of got there didn't really know what to do didn't realize i had to weigh in i weighed in and they asked me my weights and i say i don't know man ask isaac and like no you need to like declare your openers right now and i say well i don't know man ask isaac he's my coach i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> and, and he was like no i don't think you understand you need to declare something now so i just like picked random numbers and then I talked to Isaac in the warm-up room, and he was like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, you had to do that. Sorry. 
but <laughs> there's, just, there's so many there's so many variables that like there's so many moving parts for Isaac that like of course he forgot to tell me that I needed to declare numbers like that's just something I should have known as an athlete right <laughs> so the first competition uh, I don't even have a singlet you know locally they let you lift in like shorts and a t-shirt or you know uh, compression mm. gear just to like kind of grow the sport a little bit so people don't have to make this like hundred dollar investment on a singlet just to compete once right so i remember just warming up and missing basically every warm-up snatch that i took um this is i don't know like a two months of weightlifting three months of weightlifting under my belt at this point mm. still couldn't really snatch anything i was missing like 90 kilo snatches and uh, I remember Isaac just being like, all right, well, you're up and you have to, I think I opened with 100, right? Or 105 or something. And he's like, all right, well, you just missed 95 like three times, but you got to open at 100. So good luck. <laughs> so I walk out. It and, didn't like, quite go like that, but he's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it was It was basically Isaac was like, all right, well, you know, you got to pull, you got to figure this out. You got to pull this out. Like you got to make it work. Like, here we go. We can't go back. This is it. Um, so I go out and I didn't know I had to tuck my t-shirt into my shorts, but I'm about to go. And one of the referees says, Quinn, you have to tuck your t-shirt into your shorts. So I'm standing on the platform, first time ever competing, first lift. And I'm awkwardly tucking my t-shirt into my shorts as everyone watches me, which dead was just silent. Like dead silent. The They're just watching him put his clothes on. <laughs> and I had like no idea what really to do. So I just looked at the judge and was like, is that okay? And gave a thumbs up. And he said, yes, keep in mind, like the clock's running for my lift <laughs> at this point. So I end up, you know, somehow going three for three on snatch. Don't know how that happened, but it just did. <laughs> and uh, we get back there or we get in the back room. We start warming up for clean and jerk. And uh, I am exhausted. So... Um, after my first attempt at clean and jerk, I'm like huffing and puffing in the back room. Uh, can't really, you know, catch my breath. So we just start calling the weight up to buy me time to buy me time. And, uh, and it missed in the last two attempts, but it was like, it kind of started off as chaos, but then it ended as like, okay, this is okay. I can get used to this. Like, yeah. this is what comp competing is like, um, in weightlifting, totally different than competing in football. Mm. Um, you kind of have to like throttle, uh, your intensity and your, um, your, I guess like mental involvement. Um, and with football, there's so many things you have to always be aware of. Um, so things like personnel changes, uh, you study a lot of film watching people's tendencies and with weightlifting, I was kind of like trying to be in that mental state. And I realized that I just need to sit back and do what Isaac tells me. That's it. Mm. I need to sit in the back room. Isaac will load the bar. He tells me when to lift. I lift it. I don't need to think about what's on the bar. I go out and lift it, and that's it. I just put my full trust in Isaac, um, and whatever he tells me to do, I do. Hmm. It's cool that you had that kind of experience with the the first competition. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure your your nerves were getting the better of you to some extent, but you know, just the idea that you settled into what that environment was going to be like so readily, I think, um, you know, it, it, it could have easily scared a person off, but I think you were coming from the background that you did, you were pretty well prepared. 
Um, and having a good experience in that first competition probably really set you up for what was to come. Yeah, I figured, uh, you know, it was going to be different than football, but I didn't realize it was going to be so different. And obviously, like the general idea of, you know, it being different, I saw more and more of as I competed more and more. Um, so I don't know if it was the first competition where I said, all right, I need to let Isaac do everything. It was probably more so later in competing, but I started to realize in the first competition, okay, like I need to trust in my coach more in this sport than I did in football. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to like fully give him, um, let him drive everything, right? Because football, you're, you're told what to do a lot, right? But a lot of it is like making decisions on the field based on what you see. Right. Um, and there's also a, a set of like, okay, in this scenario, you can do X, Y, and Z. But if X happens, then you need to do A, right? Um, there's a lot of reaction where in weightlifting, you know, in the back room, the, all the reacting is the coach, you know, playing mm. the poker in the back room. Right. And the athlete, the best thing for an athlete is just to focus on lifting the bar every time to sit there and be in your head. Well, I mean, you guys have clearly developed a, um, a pretty strong bond of trust in going through this process. I mean, um, you know, the, the, the very idea that you can just trust Isaac to tell you what you're capable of in that moment means that not only do you trust him as a coach, but you also know that he's able to read um, how you're feeling, how what your capabilities are in that moment. Um, you know, having a trusted coach in your corner at the, at the competition to be able to work with you that closely um, has got to be a, a major part of what's able to allow you to hit these kinds of lifts. Cause I mean, you know, it, you're in a, you're in a very small percentage of the population that would even be capable of such a thing and to, to develop not only the foundation, but the, the technical expertise to be able to do these lifts the way that you do um, is uh, it's really a testament to the way that you and Isaac work together. Yeah, no, thank you. That's, uh, that means a lot, but, uh, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's definitely times in competition where we talk and say, how are you feeling? What do you want? Do you want to do this? But you know, he kind of knows that the question, if he asked me if I want to go up, the question's always yes. And computer. <laughs> yeah. I think he, I think he kind of just asked me to like, get me hyped for it. Right. Right. Um, but you know, the question is, you know, do you want to go up to like, you know, prove a point or do you want to go up to, to win? It's always yes. Right. Yeah. But I let him make those calls, those final calls. Yeah. Right? Um, and, and if he's asking me, I know that he wants to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, with, with Quinn and I, like what the thing that seems to be the consistent pattern is when, if the communication isn't there, something goes off the rails. Mm. So like the, the thing with, with Quinn and I, like the, the model that we follow in terms of training is the next week or the next phase is always adjusted on the communication that him and I have. Right. So it's, well, how does this feel? What is this like, you know, at, um, is this bugging your back? Is this not bugging your back? Do you feel stronger doing this exercise? And that kind of that communication or that feedback that we get that always leads the way of what the program is going to look like. You know, like if there's something that is is not comfortable, he's not afraid to say like, this is not working. So then we'll make the change. And if it's just, if there's any point of where, you know, like that's not an open conversation, something bad happens. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like it, ha- it hasn't always been, you know, sunshine and rainbows over the last, you know, five years. We'll say that. But mm-hmm. uh, we've definitely gotten to a point where we know how to communicate what works. And, you know, obviously, like Isaac said, if we don't communicate, something usually is failing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, uh, I think what really helps that, and this speaks to Isaac's trust in me, is that um, he trusts that I know when I'm tired or sore versus like injured or possibly like on the verge of being injured. Mm -hmm. So a lot of coaches, you know, especially in strength sports and strength conditioning, hear athletes complain about Mm -hmm. everything, anything and everything. Right. Right. And if you're in the game for a long time, I assume you just kind of put it all into one umbrella term, like just man up and do the work. Right. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden you've got guys in the same umbrella that are just tired or sore and guys that are like on verge of injury or already injured. Mm. Um, So it's really nice that Isaac trusts me knowing that I'm going to be honest if I'm, you know, tired or fatigued and don't want to do it or am hating it versus actually being injured. Right. Um, And I also have to kind of like take a step back and think, okay, does this just suck or does this actually hurt something? Right. So there's, I guess, like discipline and being self-aware on both of our ends. Right. Uh, Yeah. You know, like I complain about stuff like no one likes snatching for sixes, especially as a 330 pound man. It's not fun. But does this suck or am I actually like getting hurt? Right. So there's there's that that trust between us where is it actually blowing up my back or is this just hard work? Right. so it's nice that he actually trusts me to like give feedback on that and isn't just like, you know what, Quinn, just do the work, man up, right? Because yeah. I've had coaches that, you know, will dismiss any sort of concern about injury or soreness for any athlete before. And, you know, that's maybe just the football mentality. But uh, like, it's nice that he takes that approach and we can work together with that approach as well, right? Well, and yeah, and having that discipline gives you the ability to have those longer term goals, uh, because otherwise you'd you'd constantly be adjusting for every time you wind up derailed by an unexpected injury. Totally, yeah. and we we fought, you know, a few weird unexpected injuries, like my back the odd time, um, my shoulder acts up from here and there, or like the odd time here and there. But now it's we're at the point now where we can identify if my back is weak or strong. So it seems like my back is like the weak point of, you know, what I do. So it takes, he knows that when he he takes his mind when programming thinking, okay, well, we need to build up his back strength before we go into these heavier lifts of X, Y, and Z. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With um, the thing with, with programming for, for, well, for anybody, but for Quinn specifically is that we've had competitions of where, you know, you're, we tend to hit his biggest clean and jerk 14 to 10, uh, 10 days out. We hit his biggest snatch 10 or probably about nine to seven days out, just kind of depending on where the, the competition lies. Mm-hmm. But if he has something of where like, I'm not feeling it today or my back's bugging me or like, I don't like going overhead is going to irritate my shoulder. Well, he needs to express what he's capable of doing on competition day. So there's no point of sticking to a template, but, you know, we know we have to compete in 10 days. So we've had points of where we had to hit his biggest snatch in that training cycle leading into the competition. 
the Monday before he competes on a Saturday because we need to be able to touch up that touch on that stimulus before that competition. You know, like if we dial everything down way too early, he's going to peak too soon. Or if we dial the, the reps down or if we do the opposite of where we just say, well, it's 10 days from competition. Like you're going to be hurt when you compete or like the adrenaline will get you through it. You're just giving someone something that they're not prepared for, which is likely going to set them up for a failure. So we have, for me, when I program for Quinn, it's you have a plan and you plan from the competition backwards, but you have to be able to adjust the variables going forward from, from day to day. So if I have to get him to push, if we're supposed to go heavy on Friday, but we have to do it on the Monday before, you know, like what that Friday workout is going to be and what that Tuesday following the heavy Monday is going to look like. And that Wednesday following, you know, after those sessions, what that's looking, looking like that all changes the variables because now I have to manage his big stressor at a different point than was initially intended. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, there's been days too. Like I remember leading up to San Diego, um, I was supposed to go heavy on the Friday and I did, and it was just not a good day. And I was like, you know what, Monday I'm retaking this day. Like I just need to retake this day and feel confident about these weights. So I just did the day over on Monday and everything felt fine. It was a great day. I had the confidence going to the competition that Saturday and it worked. And the fact that Isaac is okay with, you know, Hey, as an athlete, I need to feel confident in this. Um, it, it really speaks a lot to his coaching ability and his, you know, ability to like, as a coach, put your like authority for lack of a better term aside and like work with someone instead of like, Mm. them working for you in a way you know right. like yeah. instead of just like telling them what to do there's like a teamwork aspect to it right. especially when it's like one-on-one right with a you know if you look at like a football team it's totally different you just do what coach says but with one-on-one i feel like it's a completely different dynamic yeah, yeah. it sounds like there's a remarkable amount of fine-tuning that goes into it absolutely yeah, yeah. <laughs> big time daily basis pretty much well, guys, um, I, I've had you on here more than long enough. I can't thank you <laughs> enough for for being so generous with your time. Uh, all things considered, we may not have a hell of a lot else to do, but uh, you both are uh, are far more dedicated to training than I am. So I, I, I'm really grateful for you taking the time to talk with me about this. I think anybody that uh, has exposure to weightlifting, whether through CrossFit or through the weightlifting side of things, um, will find some nuggets of gold in there, um, especially talking about, you know, what your what your progression through your career thus far has been. Um, but importantly, you know, talking about the goal setting and, and, you know, looking to much longer term goals and grander goals and, and working back from there is an important process that I think everybody in sport generally winds up having to find a way to incorporate into the way that they train. Because mm-hmm. uh, otherwise, they're just not going to make progress. You can't make up the goals on a day to day basis. You do have to have that longer term thinking in mind uh, in order to give you some way to make some progress and measure it. Totally. You got to work your way backwards, figure out where you want to be and then figure out a path, how to get there. 
Well, we're certainly going to be watching your career with great interest, Quinn, um, even if it has been somewhat uh, interrupted by this whole COVID thing. Hopefully things get back to normal sooner rather than later so that you're able to not only get out there on the competition stage, but return to your preferred way of training in the gym. Totally. No, I appreciate it. Thanks, Quinn. Thanks, Isaac. Thanks for having us. And that is time on this episode. I hope you liked it. All that's left is the M wrap up. Quinn and Isaac are great guys. I feel pretty lucky to train in the same facility. They're very approachable, extremely enthusiastic about what it is that they do. And as you can tell from our chat, they're very focused on what comes next. Goal setting is an important theme that we return to often as we chatted. Each has clear visions for what they would like to accomplish. And luckily their paths crossed and now they're both able to make great strides towards their respective and collective goals as a team. It's the unique synergy that coaches and athletes hope to achieve because that synergy helps make each of them better. If you like this episode, please share it. We fitness folks love telling other people about the latest gem we've discovered, so do me a solid. Tell some other people that you think would be interested in listening to the podcast about the latest episode or maybe even one of your favorite episodes. You could also consider writing a short review or submitting a star rating on iTunes or Podchaser. It's certainly more work than telling others to listen, so I'd greatly appreciate it. If you're interested in contributing an idea for a future episode or just providing some general feedback, hit me up at info at boxjumper.ca or direct message me on social media. I'm found with the handle at boxjumperover40 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app so you get the next episode of the podcast automatically, and join the mailing list by visiting boxjumper.ca for news, articles, and even some exclusive content. Thanks for listening. There's a lot more to come with the Box Jumper podcast. Until then, stay healthy, wad happy, and wad often.